Episode 116 is brought to you by Bonjoro. Bonjoro is one of my favorite tools for course creators, and there's really no limit to what you can do with it. It allows you to quickly and easily send a video, a personal video to anyone with an email address. As most of you know, I use it each and every day to personally welcome and thank those that signed up for my piano course the day before. But just the other day, I was running late for an appointment I had with somebody coming on to be interviewed for this very show. And instead of sending an email, I sent that person a Bonjoro explaining to them what was going on. I was actually at a doctor's appointment with my daughter and she was able to just be very understanding to my situation and she really appreciated me telling her that information with a Bonjoro. If you're not using Bonjoro yet, I want you to try it out and you can try it out with a free trial by going to bonjoro.com slash Jacques. That's B-O-N-J-O-R-O.com slash J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. This is the Online Course Show. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins, and here with me is our beloved co-host, David Crozy. Hey there. And we're excited to dive into all things online courses with you today. David, welcome to episode 116. Thank you. How are you doing, man, this morning? I'm doing great. Spent the weekend working on my webinar, and I spent way more time on it than I thought it was going to take. The really great thing, I'm up here in Iowa, and it was like negative 20-degree wind chills all weekend long. Like Saturday was like 30-mile-an-hour winds, and then Sunday was just frigid. Well, you you people are you people are just crazy. You know you, know you could move further south, right? Yeah, huh? that's something. Uh, I'd move to the mountains if I was going to move anywhere. Yeah, to each their own. You know, the 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 guest that we're going to be listening to here in a little bit, she is, not only is she from Canada, she's from Northern Canada. I was telling my wife after I got off the call with with, with Angela Fair, who we'll hear from in a little bit, I was like, hey, babe, the, the the girl I just interviewed, you know, she's super impressive with her online course and all this, but she's she's from the North. Like, she's from Canada, but she's from Northern Canada. She told me in the interview that, you know, when people picture or think of British Columbia, they think Vancouver, she's like, Go drive 12 hours north of that. And so, no, no, thank you. I'll stay here in, in South Louisiana and, and stay relatively warm where cold days are about 50 degrees. Yeah. You sound kind of smart when you say it that way, but um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure where she lives is beautiful, though. Oh, yeah. Every, I mean, yeah. As course creators, I mean, if, if we don't, if, if this is what we're doing, we don't have to go into an office and all that. We can, you know, live anywhere we want just about. I mean, you throw out like friends and family and if your spouse has a job and, and anything else tying you down, but hey, I, I could literally live anywhere and, and this is where I choose to live. Yeah, it's super cool. What have you been up to? Well, just making things as good as possible. And, and one thing big on my mind right now is getting ready to go to this ClickFunnels conference. And this episode is going to come out basically the day before that it starts. So I'm sure that we've got some listeners that'll be attending that. So I will be there. I believe I'm set up to to receive that two comma club award. I mean, I, I already got it, you know, from ClickFunnels, but they do this thing where you take a picture with Russell Brunson and all that. So hopefully I'll be doing that and meeting some listeners of the podcast and having a good time learning things. Hopefully help grow my business. And you are not going to that. 
no, I'm not. Sorry. <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to host the after hours by yourself. I'll I'll somehow try to manage. So that's that's what's going on. This episode's coming out on January 28th, and I believe the conference starts on January 29th. So that's the big thing going on uh, all over here. But look, we're not going to just just glance over your your webinar to get, give us a little more details on on where you are with putting together a webinar for your course. Well, I got it recorded. Went back through it, and I'm like, there's a couple things that I want to re re-record. But then it's on to setting up the technology and just getting it placed and deciding whether I'm going to go start using deadline funnel right away or just launch it once without the deadline funnel just to test it out. So I don't know. What do you think I should do? Well, when you're so just to clarify for the audience, right, when you're putting together an evergreen webinar, you really have two options logistically. You can use a recording from a live webinar or you can just pre-record it. And it sounds like you're just you're just pre-recording it. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. That's fair. There's, you could go a couple of ways with it. I, I'm always a fan of doing less and getting it out rather than trying to do more and never getting it out, right? So if you're satisfied with your recording, you want to get it out there, great. We can always add deadline funnel in later, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably what I would suggest you do is let's, let's go ahead and get something out there as quickly as possible. Get Get this new funnel out there and then we can always add layers on top of it. That sounds great. I did go ahead and switch to Loom. I was like, oh, I just love that like circular view. But like you said, there's some functionality missing in Loom. Yep. Like it needs a hotkey to toggle between the like sizes of the webcam view. And that was like driving me bonkers because that's a nice little feature. That's the feature I use the most in Screencast-O-Matic is just being able to use the keyboard. And I'm like, where is this feature? So yeah, everything, everything has its pros and cons. Heavy debate between Loom and Screencast-O-Matic. Most people out there prefer Loom, but I'm still a Screencast-O-Matic guy for recording recording my screen. I'm a big fan. I use it literally every day. Like I'm constantly making video instructions for my contractors and, and recording videos for, for YouTube or in courses. And I've tried Loom and I just, I'm a Screencast-O-Matic guy. Yeah, stick with it. All right, David. Well, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Angela Fair. I came away super impressed here. She, just a little preview, she has recently hit 10,000 students for her watercolor Mm -hmm. courses. She teaches people watercolor art. And so very impressive. A lot of great takeaways here from a very successful course creator. So let's go ahead and play the episode. We'll come back on the back end. So we'll go ahead and hit play on that right now. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the online course show. Hi, Jacques. Thanks for having me here. Look, I want to start. I want to start kind of in the present and maybe work our way backwards. So, to start with, why don't you kind of tell us what it is that you teach and kind of the the current state of your online courses? Okay. Well, what I like to say is that I teach fellow watercolor lovers how to become their own favorite artist, teaching watercolor techniques and kind of a fearless creative mindset to developing artists. I've been doing that through online courses for. I think about seven, coming up on seven years now. And we have an online community. I have 25 plus online courses, just an amazing network of amazing artists. Watercolor people are the best people and I'm pretty privileged to be able to teach them. Now, piano people are the best people, Angela. (laughs) Actually, my daughter's a pianist. She's been playing for about 10 years and she's pretty awesome too. So I'll agree with you that. That, no, I'm just messing with you. There's a lot of good people out there. So you have 25 courses. That's incredible. Why so many courses? Well, I started out teaching 
watercolor technique to beginners here in my community, which I live in Northern British Columbia. When you teach in a small community, you teach the broadest audience possible. So that was kind of the way that you taught watercolor was you taught beginner techniques and everybody copied what the artist was doing. And so for a long time, I built a combination of kind of bigger courses that were more concept based. And then I've also done shorter ones, which are more like, let's paint this subject all together and learn technique by copying what the instructor is doing. And that makes for a lot of small little kind of chunks of, of classes. It would be like if you were teaching piano and you said, okay, we're going to te- learn these three songs by Elton John or something. So, yeah. A lot of times when I hear people have that many courses, you charge like a monthly membership and then somebody gets access to all of them. Is that how it works for you? We started doing that last year. Yes, that was definitely something that was a concern when you have that many courses. There's that overwhelm of I don't know what to do take if you're just stumbling on. So, you know, we did spend some time directing students, had a little quiz on the first page saying, you know, where are you at? And here's a course we recommend for you. But even better is being able to say to everybody, you get all the courses, pay this monthly rate. And so we give the option to do both. A lot of students get a lot out of our member community, even if they already own some of the courses, because we have then the ongoing learning as well. Can you ballpark for me about how many students you have? We have a free online course that we kind of draw people in with. And that's a, I have about 10,000 students enrolled in that one. And I actually just made my 10,000th course sale this month. So the community members, they come and go. We're at about 500 of engaged community members. And then we have also this pool of students who, who paint and take a course as their lifestyle allows. With the hobby niche, we recognize that I might have a student purchase a course, you know, two years in the past and life gets busy and and suddenly they show up again. And that's pretty neat to see. 10,000. Yes. You just made your 10,000th course sale. That's unbelievable. Congratulations. Yeah, I was on the course dashboard. I was having a meeting with my assistant and then suddenly I looked and I was like, 10,000 exactly. So yeah, we celebrated. That is that is unbelievable. That, that's just incredible. All right. So you said you're on your course dashboard, which is where you learn that information. Does that mean you've been using kind of the same course platform for the for the entire seven years? Almost. I started out when I did my very first course. I had no idea if I had an audience or not. Basically, I felt like I was up against some very established world famous watercolor artists when it came to teaching courses. Uh, so I went with the course marketplace for that very first course, which was really helpful actually, because they had you know, their free course on how to build a course. So I took advantage of that information. But very quickly after that first course launched in November of 2013, I realized that I wanted more control than a marketplace offered. Those marketplaces, you know, they contr- they, they're the ones who know your students' email addresses and have those, that engagement with the students. And generally, their, their goal is to have as many students in there as, as possible, which means lowering the price. And I really wanted to value my courses at what I believed they were worth and be able to build relationship with my students. I think it sounds greedy sometimes when you say, oh, well, I wanted my students' email addresses, like we're going to spam them. But it's been very much for me about building relationship and being able to really get to the heart of why did we start painting? What do we commonly get discouraged by and be able to engage on that? So which course platform is it that you moved on to? I'm using Teachable now for posting my courses. I've been with them actually since they were about six months old. And we've had a a very good trusting relationship over those years. So back when they were Fedora, I believe. That's right. right. Yeah. 
Awesome. So one of the first Fedora users here. And so it's on that teachable platform that you saw the 10,000th student number come through. Yeah. All so right. So let's not including things like, you know, trying out that first course marketplace. Yeah. I did dabble in, I think one other that's been, you know, it's still out there, but you never hear anything about it. I think there's still a kind of a little lingering series of lessons there that every now and then I get an email saying, you might have a commission one day soon. And it's like $2 a month or something. Sure. So let's let's go ahead and go back to those early days because you mentioned it's it was about seven years ago. So give me the idea of the time time frame here. What was going on in your life in your life then, and how did you come up with the idea for an online course? It's such a I love looking back and thinking about that. Actually, it's some of my favorite memories of how this all came about because it was so. Sometimes you know, as an artist, you feel like you got to kick and and push for for any little bit of recognition. It's like this you're scrabbling upwards towards you know, making it as an artist. And I really didn't want to do that. I was a mom of three small children. I stayed at home with them. We were just starting to actually homeschool. So I'm home full time. One of our goals was always for them to have a lot of independence. So we do our school in the morning. In the afternoon, we all had our own kind of free time. They had naps for a while when otherwise I'd send them outdoors to get some fresh air. And that was my time. And I would paint during those precious hours. While I was painting, I would have these moments where I'd recognize maybe how to articulate a technique I was using, or I'd see something wonderful the watercolor was doing, and I just felt like I had to share it with somebody. And so I started filming little videos and putting them on YouTube. I think that would have been in 2011. And just every now and then, and uh, those early videos, some of them are still on there. You can actually hear the kids screaming in the background as they're jumping on the trampoline and so, but my, my enthusiasm, my excitement about what I was learning, it seemed to draw people to my channel, even though the videos were terrible angle, it was a hundred dollar like point and click camera I was using. There wasn't really anything great about the videos themselves. But as I, I think I got a let, an email from YouTube saying, you're encouraging me to monetize my channel, run some ads. And that first month I might've made $7. The month I made $100, I got really excited. I mean, I was a stay-at-home mom. I was making no money. My time was really basically worthless. So to see that I could contribute, uh, maybe that money could go towards, you know, taking the family out for dinner, or maybe one day I'd make $500 in a month. And I could use that to, you know, do something actually really substantial for my family. Felt like a big deal. So as I saw my YouTube audience grow, it really made me want to be more intentional about what those viewers would see. With YouTube, you don't get to decide when they come to your channel, how much they watch, and in what order. So I really wanted, my teacher's heart said, you know, let's find a way to structure this so that people can get the most benefit out of it. And that was when I started looking into online courses. And it was terrifying. I don't know why, but it just felt like this huge risk, even though I, I did it with the supplies that I had. I didn't go out and buy a bunch of equipment. I just started, you know, filming those lessons. Yeah, and, and it worked. You know, I, I didn't have that much to lose. Just that invested time. That was, it was a big step, but it was totally worth it when I, when I opened up that course and started to see uh, people signing up. Now, it sounds like we, we kind of launched in relatively the si same time frame if it was seven years ago once you finally put it together and, and launched it. How much easier do you think it is to kind of create and, and launch a, an online course today versus back in 2013? I think it's easier and harder, probably. It's easier in that there's a lot, there's a lot more information out there. At the time, 
you know, I didn't even know what to search for, actually, the search terms to use, whereas now there's a lot of dialogue around online courses. At the same time, there's so much noise now. As soon as you start looking for information on teaching online, you're going to be bombarded with people who want to teach you all the lingo, tell you how to set up your funnel. And I think it can be very overwhelming for a new instructor, you know, to feel like they have to do it all. And for that very first course, and I really didn't do that. My feeling was, I was going to create the course I would have wanted to find online. And so I made myself my own best customer. I didn't know the, the lingo. I just looked for the most common sense way to reach people like me. That's interesting. It's an interesting point to consider that there are, you know, challenges that exist today that didn't exist back then because of, of how popular online courses have gotten. The reason I wanted to ask that question is, is I struggled, you know, the back in 2013, I spent so many wasted hours just like searching for a place to host my course. I mean, you mentioned that you pretty quickly moved over to Fedora, which is now teachable, but it you know, that, that I don't think that existed in 2013. Yeah, the first platform I chose, they might have just, yeah, I don't think they did either. The first platform I chose was a marketplace site, and they were geared toward kind of an artsy crowd. And so, you know, that was why I chose them is because I knew then I had, you know, some people who would be interested. And I'd been blogging for a, quite a few years. I kind of started out mommy blogging in like 2008. And so I had kind of a website for my art. And so I had a few people there already, a little bit of an audience. Maybe that was where I had my 100 loyal fans to start with. So I wasn't starting from zero. And I think nowadays, a lot of people do. They build the course, and then they look for the audience. And because I had the YouTube channel that was growing, because I had been blogging, I had a little bit of an audience to build from. And I had an idea of what people responded to because I'd been seeing, you know, their reactions from what I shared on my blog and on YouTube. Yeah, that's certainly one of the biggest mistakes I see is people build the course first before the audience. And I didn't intend for when I first made my course in 2013, it took like eight months to actually, you know, get all the time together to put it together and launch it. The only good thing about all that time is I had some YouTube videos up like you. And so the only good thing is that my audience was building along the way. So I did have a small audience to be able to launch to by that point. So going Just back, curious, did you find yourself like having to restart your course, like, like taking eight months? I know for me, often I'll completely restructure something and it takes me that long and just trying to figure out the most efficient way to deliver the content. Yeah, you're saying did like over that long period of time, did I kind of rethink the, the course? Yeah, many I'm times? just curious. Did it change shape a bit? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, like when I first got the idea, I was like, okay, it's going to be learn piano in 30 days. That was it. And then I started putting things together. I'm like, man, I don't I don't I've got 21 lessons here. I don't I don't know that I can do any more than that. And so and actually piano in 30 days, I think is actually taken. It's been it's older than than mine even is. So I did piano in 21 days. And yeah, it took it took a while to to actually figure out the order of things and and how I wanted to present things. And it it certainly did. It was dynamic over those eight eight months. And that first version that I launched doesn't look anywhere near the the latest version. I'm sure you could say the same as well. Yeah, I have a course. I'm trying to think here. It would have been the fall of 2018 when I launched Watercolor Mastery. And it was kind of that next level watercolor course. And That one took, you know, six to eight months to build as well. And that idea even of getting over the imposter syndrome, like I'm going to teach a course titled Watercolor Mastery. And yet, you know, I feel 
like I've got a long way to go and what I want to learn. But it was so interesting to see how it came together as I as I thought about, you know, how what makes a watercolor master different from, you know, just somebody who's just getting started. Been such a such a rewarding course to teach. And it's due for a, a big revamp and just to to look it over and, and be more, I think be braver even about delivering the content. Do you remember when you realized that this was going to work? Like this this online course thing for you was going to work. Do you remember what that when that was and, and what happened? I think one one thing that stands out would have been after I switched to Teachable. Uh, and that was a risk because then I was moving away from a marketplace that had an audience. And so that was scary. So that was, I think, in July of 2015. And so in January of 2016, I launched kind of my first big course on Teachable. And I made $8,000 in sales during that launch. And it was like, whoa, you know, uh, that was just more than I could have ever imagined. And, and so, yeah, it felt like I could, I could see myself setting goals and, and see them being achieved and consistently. And that's been really cool because I think we all want to build something sustainable. That's meant growing slowly and yet seeing those growth targets be reached and just focusing on continuing to build slowly and and create something that I don't have to burn out to maintain. So let me ask you this next. I'm on your website right now and I want to ask you a few questions about the things on there. But to start with, you know, your website is AngelaFair.com. And, and am I saying your, your last name correctly? Yep, F-E-H-R. Right. Mm-hmm. Why did you, you decide to go with your name instead of, instead of a, a new brand? Yeah, I, well, uh, that was a decision when I, when I first started my YouTube channel, because there are a lot of artists on there who have nicknames or catchy titles or, you know, a channel name rather than their own name. And for me, I guess I'm a very traditional artist in that, that, you know, our traditionally artists sign their name on their paintings. And my goal was always to be a fine artist. So I wanted to just keep that consistent brand of my name. And in fact, when I had to register as a business, they said, well, you can't just register it as your name is Angela Fair. You have to add some kind of descriptor on the end. So I went with Angela Fair Art. Yeah, I've always been very consistent in branding around my name. And Nowadays, it's actually, I'm so glad that I did that because when, I, when I'm on YouTube now, the growth of YouTube, uh, it's so big and it's still where people find me first is usually through a YouTube tutorial. And I, if I just taught techniques, if I just said, this is how to do this, and there was nothing of me and my personality in it, they're not going to remember my name. They're going to be like, oh, I got a good technique on watercolor on YouTube. But because I share who I am and my own growth process, what I teach is very much tied to who I am. And so I'm really glad that I've used my name consistently throughout. I do get that question a lot. It's like, hey, Jacques, I'm just getting started. Should I use my name or should I you know, come up with some brand? So I appreciate that perspective. Now, I'm at AngelaFair.com right on the homepage. And I love the simplicity of what I'm seeing right at the top. It says, welcome. Just starting out with watercolor, click here. Looking to grow your skills, click here. Is that... Did you design it that way so that you could easily differentiate or really your users could easily differentiate whether they need to jump into beginning training or more advanced training? Oh, yeah, it's definitely it makes it easier for me to be very specific and targeted in what I'm sharing with them. I don't want to overwhelm new beginners because they already are overwhelmed. That's why they've come to the site. And yet I want to challenge people who have been painting a while. So it's really nice to be able to just send them 
directly to where they want to go. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how to simplify. How do I make this as easy as possible so you know you can get to what you need efficiently? Well, how how do you how do you typically make a sale? I mean, I'm guessing I think you mentioned most of your traffic starts at YouTube, then they end up on your site, then they probably click like whether they're a beginner or more advanced. Like what what does that entire process look like from somebody entering your world to making a sale? Okay, well, I have to tell you that I am an artist, so I'm not super I'm I'm very I'm not super linear or structured in how I in in keeping track of my metrics. So there's numbers out there and sometimes I remember them and sometimes I don't. So mostly I just try to be aware that it is building the relationship that brings in the customers who are going to last and stay. So I made a goal, I think it was 2016, when I decided I was going to email my audience every single week. And most of the artists I know have mailing lists and they try to do a quarterly or a monthly newsletter and they might hit that target. You know, they might, they might actually send something out every six months and it's like, oh, I'm still here. I haven't disappeared. I've just been busy working on my paintings. And so when I chose to email every week without fail, which is actually not like you'll get marketers now telling you to email even more often. So every week isn't, isn't super, super high nowadays, but I like emailing weekly. It's a relational thing. And I get to share a small piece of information to encourage or teach, uh, let them know what's going on front of mind that way. But I also get to build relationships and and build that trust. And I don't sell hard with hobby niche, which is where, where I am you don't, there's not as much urgency around it as there are maybe other, other subjects for teaching. And so I, I recognize that and I acknowledge it. So I don't feel like, you know, you have to buy this today. No, when you're ready, when you've marked out that time to spend time painting, I'm here. You know, I have things that will help you. The goal is, yeah, the goal is... That's quite the opposite approach of most marketers. Oh, yeah. And the goal is really if they fall in love with watercolor you know, they're going to be doing it. They, and so that is the goal is just to encourage them so that they can freely love what they're doing and want to do more of it. So you don't have any, you don't have any scarcity, anything like that. Like I can go to your website, I can buy your courses right now, or I can join your email list and you'll kind of softly pitch the courses over time. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I do have like watercolor mastery is an interactive course that we do every, like we try to do it twice a year. So that one, there is a bit of an urgency there because we only do it twice a year. We have been doing, it's, it's actually been really fun to revive interest in some of my older courses because it always feels like the new courses sell the most, but I have all of these great courses that I want to share. So in the community, we've been doing periodic interactive walkthroughs of different courses. So actually next week, we'll be doing a free watercolor boot camp. I love the word boot camp because it sounds so you know tough and intense. And here we are with watercolor. It's a little ironic. But we're doing a free boot camp. It's a three-day free workshop on YouTube. And then from there, we'll be doing an w- interactive walkthrough of my Learn How to Paint Watercolor from the Heart course. And that will start in February. So, you know, we, it's really fun to go through it with students who are all going through the lessons at the same time. And with a lot of evergreen courses, you know, people don't do that. You're just kind of on your own. Do you, would you say you spend more time on the course and the teaching or on creating art yourself? They go a little bit hand in hand right now at any rate. Lately, because I've been focused on this member community, we just built it in summer of last year in June, I think was when we launched. 
And so I really want to build that into something that's very sustainable and that has a core group of very committed members. And so I've been focusing my attention there. And that's been really fun because we do a weekly live broadcast and it's a studio session. It's inviting them into my studio and I get to show them how I'm teaching myself to paint every day. And so that's been personal development for me. Gives them a look. I'm writing a book on painting the land, uh, painting the landscape, but painting it kind of intuitively from your heart. That's been fun to share that progress with them as I'm painting towards that goal. So that's been a lot of fun. We will help. I will have to pull back next month and focus on teaching those beginner techniques again. And it's always good to kind of ground yourself again in the basics. So it all kind of goes hand in hand. But I definitely feel like as a teacher, you know, I need to be more, I need to be attuned to what my students are, are learning. So my own personal development is a little slower that way. All right. So you've, we've mentioned YouTube several times now, and I just checked your YouTube channel. You've got like almost 80,000 subscribers. So obviously you have a budding channel there. Is that your only source of traffic over to your website or do you have other sources? I have an Instagram account. I'm Angel Fair on Instagram. So we've been working on building that. I have a Facebook page, which I've had since, I don't know, forever. So that's a place also. Actually, I have a Facebook group as well, which is a really fun group. I think a lot of online teachers have trouble getting activity in their group. And I do not have that problem. When you have 10,000 members in your Facebook group, and they all want to share what they're painting, it's, it's really kind of active and and busy over there. And so I don't spend a lot of time there, but it is a place to check in and share what I'm up to as well. So yeah. So no paid traffic at all? I really don't spend a lot of money on ads. I And I haven't worked a lot with affiliates. Again, if it doesn't make sense to me, if I'm struggling to figure it out or just don't have time, I'm going to focus on the stuff I do know how to do. And that's just working with my existing audience and trusting that what I have out there is going to continue to to grow. So my YouTube channel, you know, the growth isn't, I I don't think 80,000 sounds like a huge channel, but it's actually really good. I've been looking at some of the artists who are just getting started teaching on YouTube now, and they really struggle to get the views that I get. Actually, I don't look at subscriber numbers so much as like minutes of watch time. Subscriber numbers, I don't know if they mean as much as people like to think they do, because I'll subscribe to a channel and and I never look at any of that stuff. I have my notifications turned off. I don't check in. We tend to use YouTube more like a search engine. So how your video appears in search is a lot um, more important. And I have a video with a million views. So that one, you know, that one brings people to my channel a lot more than those subscriber numbers. So that's really been interesting to see how how that works and maybe look past the numbers a little bit. And I don't really pay attention to what other people are doing on YouTube. I really try to stay focused on who I am and what I want to share. There are artists doing teaching art in, in very in different ways. They do those time lapse videos where everything happens really fast with the music in the background. And I don't really do that. I'd rather go in real time so that I can actually tell them what I'm doing and what I'm thinking as I paint. As we talk, it's funny how our stories kind of mirror each other to an extent, you know, time frame and and getting a lot of traffic from YouTube. I'm at about 60,000 subscribers, but I would agree that, you know, I think I've got two videos that are over a million views and most of the YouTube traffic comes from just those two videos. And maybe the subscribers aren't as important. So 
for that video that's got over a million views, I mean, that's that's probably making you thousands of dollars a month right there. Well, what uh, what's the name of that? Um, actually, <laughs> I turned my ads off on YouTube a while ago. No, I'm talking about in course sales from people finding oh, you through that course. video. Yeah, yeah, because I don't, I, I really didn't want to run ads on my YouTube channel. I did turn it on again because YouTube recently had a thing where they said, you know, if your channel's not viable, we might, you know, cancel it or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I think they want to make a little money off of us. So I, I do run ads on a few of my videos. But yeah, I mean, just that idea that, oh, I was a beginner. And I hear this all the time. I was, I took your tutorial on how to paint a sunflower on YouTube. And that was, you know, or I've been sharing, it's my 25th year of painting in watercolor this year. So we're doing like this big celebration and giveaways every month and stuff like that. And I've had people telling me, you know, I've been watching you since you first started painting on, on YouTube. So that's been really cool to see. Not only do they watch my videos, but they remember that they're from me. So I think that works. All right. So you are not in the United States. So tell me what currency you charge your students for your online course. I, yeah, I, I do charge in US dollars, priced in both US and Canadian. 90% of my students are from the US and I, I love my American students. I love my, well, I love my international students too. We actually have an amazing, amazing broad spectrum of students in my courses. But yeah, it just makes sense. If 90% of my sales are coming through the US, I'm gonna, going to charge in US dollars. Plus, it's a favorable exchange rate. I mean, I, I get emails from people in Australia or Canada or something like that where the exchange rate is not favorable for them. And they're they're like, hey, is this US dollars, or Australian dollars, or Canadian dollars? And then, you know, a $500 US dollar course is like seven or $800 in, in, in other currencies. So it's more expensive for them. How much of an advantage do you feel like being in, the, being in Canada, but then most of your audience is in the United States? I mean, that, that sounds like a big advantage. It is. I mean, I make about, I don't know, 25% in currency exchange, which is, it's significant. And so that it feels, actually, it feels like that kind of covers the costs of running an online business can kind of be covered in that currency exchange game. So that's kind of cool. I do actually lose a little money when I sell in Canadian dollars to my Canadian students. I have I have my online courses priced in US and Canadian, but because Teachable's not super well set up to handle collecting sales tax in Canada and I'm obligated to charge it, I end up having to take that out of my cost uh, of Canadian sales. So it's a little bit of a manual deal and it's a headache and I'm thankful that uh, I hired an assistant and she takes care of that for me now. I don't have to crunch the numbers every month. What do you mean you're obligated to to charge sales tax? In Can in Canada we have a federal sales tax. So it's of most provinces it's 5% and some it's actually up to 15. So it varies depending on the province they're in and so I not only have to collect that or remit that to the government that 5% of every Canadian sale but I also have to remit it based on the province of residence of that student. It's yeah, it's complicated. It's not fun. It doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound fun. Let's move on to something I consider fun. Okay. And that is that it's tools. The I think the only tool you've mentioned or software is Teachable. What what other tools are you using for your online course business that you're liking? It's a good question. Actually, what I'm loving right now is I finally bought some decent lights for the studio. They were supposed to be for running live broadcasts and so forth, but I use them all the time for painting and just to get better light in the studio here in the north. I live in British Columbia. Most think, people think of Vancouver when they think of British Columbia, but you need to drive 12 hours north to get to where we, to get to where we are. So 
We're far up in the north and it's pretty dark in the winters, so I'm really liking my good studio lights. Beyond that, I have two webcams. I mean, I think they most people recommend the Logitech C920 or whatever the number is now. So I have two of those. It's still not the best camera. I don't know. I still think there should be a better webcam out there. But I run one of those for the talking head when I'm teaching a, a live broadcast. And then I have one over my work surface for my painting, for when I'm actually painting. And that actually was the biggest challenge is uh, when I first started teaching, you want to film your work surface most tripods are intended to shoot, you know, vertically. So my husband built me just a pole that mounts on the ceiling and it extends downwards so I can adjust it and have my camera directly over my painting surface. And so that's been really a handy tool to have. The, the similarities continue. I mean, oh, as you yeah. can imagine, an overhead camera for teaching piano is very important as well. I mean, I can kind of shift my Logitech C920 here to show you that I've got a rig set up with my overhead camera for when I'm recording. But I think I think you know I've I've definitely crossed paths with plenty of different people in different niches that want that overhead camera view and it's funny how everybody's kind of approached it yeah. approached it differently. Well, I can show you mine if you want. Let's see if we can't just Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't convert well to audio if people are just listening to this, but yeah, oh, yours is way more professional than mine. <laughs> yeah, so it's just yeah, I know he even painted it for me and it used to be that when I would ask my husband to build something for me, he would find like the ugliest, scabbiest piece of wood in the shop and then build me this hideous thing. So I, 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 I fixed that because I would show all everybody who came over, I'd be like, look at this beautiful thing my husband made for me. And after that, he decided if I was going to be showing off all the stuff he built, he was going to make it look a little nicer. Very nice. So, yeah. Any, any other software like online tools other than Teachable? I, I do all my own video editing. So I've really tried to keep it simple because I just don't have time to do a lot. So I use Camtasia for my video editing. What else? I've been using Canva a lot. And as an artist, I was actually a graphic designer for a while. You know, I've grown up with Photoshop and yet somehow I just end up going and using Canva for just those simple, quick. And I think that's the name of the game is just whatever makes the job go faster. So I've been working a lot with that. What else? Beyond that. I want this to be a lesson in that there's a million ways to skin a cat because I'm oh, I'm going to yeah. show you something here. I my credit card expired so I'm having to go through all of my software tools that I use and update my credit card information and this is oh. my list of <laughs> software tools that I use. There's right. probably 35 things on here and you're you've mentioned about two and it grows and well and that, <laughs> and that's foolish of me because I know to get the actually I should mention I've been using Teachable to host my courses, but the membership community, the community side of it is a separate software. It's a separate app. And so we've been using Mighty Networks for the community side. So in order to make those two work together, you also need Zapier. And what else? Oh, it's all coming out now. There's all the tools. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so my assistant handles a lot of the pieces. We use ConvertKit for our email. And I attended the ConvertKit conference. They do a conference every year in June in Boise. That was the first time I, I attended in 2018. And that was the first time I'd gotten the chance to interact with other people who were doing what I was doing, teaching online. You know, up north here, there's nobody. And I've had to learn it all on my own. And I've tried to do it on the cheap, really not spending money that I didn't have. And that's it's one thing I would really recommend if you're starting out teaching online, 
they will try, I mean, Teachable will do it too. They will try to sell you their, you know, pro membership and tell you it's your best value. But until you are making money from your course, you know, don't spend money you don't have. So, you know, do the, I, use the free part of the platform until your course is bringing in the dollars. Build it slowly. And then there's much less pressure because you found out it takes a lot longer than you think to build that first course, especially if you're struggling with overwhelm and imposter syndrome and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me let me give a, a quick shout out to to like live conferences and stuff and meeting other course creators because this episode is coming out on January 28th and on January 29th is the start of the ClickFunnels conference which I will be at. So if anybody's listening to this as it comes out, you know, definitely come by and and say hello if you're going to be at that conference in Nashville, Tennessee this year. Now, let's jump to something you said I really want to dig into. I don't want to take too much more of your time, yep. but you mentioned Mighty Networks, yes. right? This is, a, this is a new thing that I've, I've heard about. The creator came on Pat Flynn's podcast recently, Smart Passive Income. Oh, I have to listen to and Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know much about it. It seems to be kind of an alternative to Facebook groups. Yeah. So I'd love for you to share a little more information about Mighty Networks. It was after I, after I left the ConvertKit conference that I started thinking about, you know, what direction I wanted to take my business. And you can get so much insight from attending a conference. I really recommend it if you've been teaching online and have questions or, or needs maybe to streamline the way you're doing things. Because I'm, I'm sure you've learned, too, that the insights you get from an event like that can be really powerful. So for me, I had this vision in the fall of 2018 of the relationships I've built with my students. They're friends of mine. You know, uh, some of them, I just feel like I know them so well, even though we've never met. And then sometimes we get to meet when I teach because I get to travel and teach now, which was a dream of mine. But I wanted them to know each other. And so that was really, I got started thinking about that because often hobbies, people choose hobbies because they're lonely. They've had a change of life and you know, maybe they are retired and they're trying to figure out what their life is going to look like now, or maybe they've lost a spouse. And I, I get to connect with these people and build relationships, but they're lonely. They don't always have a close-knit community that they're a part of. And so I wanted a chance to bring them all together. And so that was really my vision for my community. I looked at a company that was going to build one for me, and I realized I could not financially <laughs> handle that. I was, it was a wonderful to think about getting something built but the maintenance on the site was just was going to take all my profits. So I couldn't go that way. We looked at forums. I didn't want to use Facebook because I have members who uh, of my courses that really don't want to be on Facebook. And I'm also always leery about a platform where I don't own, like where I'm borrowing space, basically. So I really wasn't comfortable with uh, using Facebook groups myself. So we tried the forums thing, but for art, which is a visual medium, it just didn't really work for my students. And so a friend of mine was using Mighty Networks for her magazine. And it's beautiful. It was very visual. It had a flow that was felt like not a huge learning curve to come from Facebook or Instagram to this, this other site and be able to interact on there. And so we started using Mighty Networks in June. They are definitely still developing the, the platform, but I really, I really like the visuals there and what they offer. They, they offer a feature where you can host courses, part of your Mighty Networks. We're not using that, again, because I'm in Canada and I wanted to work with multiple currencies that they didn't have that option. So we've been still using Teachable to host my courses. 
I guess in my heart, I'd love to see Teachable come out with something that was really beautiful visually for a community. And if we were able to, to do everything on Teachable, I still would probably. Okay. So you said that you're using one of the main reasons you're using Mighty Networks over, a, say, a Facebook group is because you don't like the thought of kind of using Facebook space. But I'm very unfamiliar with Mighty Networks. Are you not using their space? Well, I'm paying for that privilege. So it would be similar to, well, I always like to compare it to kind of using credit cards, right? Every business you go into accepts credit cards. They pay for the service of having that that credit card processor there. And so you can have the ability to, you know, I'm, I'm basically renting, renting a space on Mighty Networks. And they give me the the technical stuff <laughs> and I, I get to manage the rest. Okay. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, Angela, just a couple more questions for you before we get out of here. What advice do you have for somebody that is just starting out in online courses? I think it's the same advice I would give someone who is just starting to paint because any, any time you take on a big new venture, it can be really overwhelming. Don't feel like you need to do it all at once. Uh, one thing that I wish I'd, I'd realized sooner was there always felt like there was this underlying urgency as I started to build courses. I just felt like I had to get it all done today. And then the next day, you know, same feeling. I got to get it done today. You, will, you can't do it all perfectly. And you, one small step at a time makes a big difference. I always say that marketing your course is like parenting and saving money. You could always do it better. <laughs> There's never a point where you're like, well, I've just done everything I could do. You kind of have to make peace with always being in that process of continually growing. I love that quote. I'm going to, uh, is, is that your quote or is, is that oh, yeah. somebody no, else? I, Mar- think I, I think I made that up. Yeah. <laughs> Marketing your course is like parenting, parenting saving. or saving money. You can always be doing it better. Yeah. Love that. All right, Angela. Well, look, to, to wrap this up, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you and your story a little bit. Let us know if there's anything else you want to share with the audience and, and where people can find your stuff online. Yes, I am found online, as you said, at AngelaFair.com. And the learning side is learn.angelafair.com. That's where you can see all the courses that I've taught. I love sharing what I've learned in watercolor and encouraging people because, uh, you know, we're taking on these big, big tasks, whether it's mastering an artistic medium or piano or teaching online, recognizing the value of just that steady, slow investment is, is really powerful and staying encouraged during that journey. And I think we all share that in common. Thanks so much, Angela. And that's a wrap on the conversation with Angela. David, welcome back. Thank you. All right. So I mentioned this before we played it. One of the biggest things that stood out to me is the 10,000 students thing. I mean, we can we can have the greatest course, we can have the greatest marketing, but it doesn't matter if we're not actually getting butts in the seats, right? And it's and for her, it's not just it's not just a few, like 10,000. Like I, that blew me away. Like I'm, I'm about 4,000 here over the past seven years. And she's, you know, two and a half times what I'm at in terms of number and students, number of students. That was the most impressive thing that I took away from this interview. Yeah, that's amazing. The thing I noticed, I just felt like she was so true to herself through this like whole process. I felt like she just, the way that she talked, she was so congruent. And she didn't have to become a different person to have success with this course. I mean, I feel like she's she's done exactly what she wanted and what felt right to her every step of the way. And it worked. And she was rewarded for her success. I just loved hearing that. That, you know, sometimes if you're out there and you're thinking about making a course, you feel like you need to like 
take on this guru persona or really change yourself. And I felt like she, she just had this amazing level of success without, without changing herself. Yeah, the word I kept thinking of as I was talking to her was authentic. Like she was just so authentic. Yes. And like when we were talking about marketing tactics and all that, she she admitted that she didn't have the greatest funnel or marketing or whatever, and that she doesn't didn't completely knew what she was doing. But the thing was, she was perfectly fine with that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'll talk to people and wh- whether on the podcast or, or off the podcast that know that their funnel isn't as good as it could be and that stresses them out and they're like you know i gotta learn i gotta figure out what the best funnel is and and i'm certainly like that like i want my funnel to be as good as possible meaning i want it to convert as highly as possible and she's just like ah screw it like it's it's good enough and clearly it is i mean it's working for ten thousand students yes she also said that her goal i think it was like maybe her tagline but she wanted to instill her watchers with this fearless creative mindset and I love that she she views it as she's nurturing this community. She's really inspiring people at the same time. Yeah, it just it just came through so much that she just wants nothing more than than her students to succeed. And it's not all about the money. It's not all about the freedom for her. But she she genuinely wants to help people, and that's fantastic. Another thing that really jumped out to me was her mentioning actually using Mighty Networks because I I only heard about that recently because somebody I got an email from somebody I, I don't remember who it was or what the context was, but they they were mentioning that the creator of Mighty Networks was on Pat Flynn's podcast recently and that I should check it out, and I did check it out. And I listened to it, but I just, I'm not convinced to switch over to something like that from, say, Facebook groups. The, the thing that is so great about Facebook groups is that almost everybody's on Facebook. Almost everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody's already on Facebook and already using Facebook. And they're already using Facebook groups. And this is just another, another group to add in there. I feel like if we add in something like Mining Networks or one of these other options that's out there, then that's just another kind of platform that people will have to, to get on. And maybe I'm wrong there, but that's that's my hesitation. And I, I don't have a problem with Facebook groups. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I mean, the main thing, yeah, I mean, there's another Slack would be the other one that some of these course creators, they have these whole huge, especially business to business or business focused ones. They have Slack. And I agree, like, it seems like, when you go to one of these separate networks, you're catering to this like 5% of people that absolutely hate Facebook, but then you might lose 20% of people that refuse to sign in to one of these other things. So right. you're, you feel like you're appeasing your, your, your crowd, but the reality is that there's this vocal minority that are like, I hate Facebook. And I don't know, like I said, it could be one step forward, two steps backwards, or one step forward, one step backwards, as far as the people that don't sign into the other other system. It's it's hard for me to completely give a fair assessment because I, I haven't really tried anything besides Facebook groups. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups. I like them. Now, I will say that there's probably a, a number that you you reach in terms of quantity of people in a group to where maybe it's not as effective. All of the groups that I manage are, are in the hundreds. So for the groups that I have are, I have a separate group for each level or package that people buy for my piano offering. So I have my entry package, which is $100. Essential package is $300. And the ultimate package is $500. I separate those people out into different 
Facebook groups because they, they have different content. So uh, I don't know, maybe I should have kept those the same, but they're three separate groups and it's working and they each have probably, you know, 300, 400 people in, in those groups. It's working fine. People are posting videos of their status playing. People are encouraging each other. I, I hesitated making those groups for so long because I didn't want it to be just more work for myself, but I really wanted to create it so that people could interact with each other. That was the point of me creating it. It's turned out that's been been phenomenal because people will post a video on day three and then they get a lot of encouragement. People will post a video when they're done and they're playing piano and it encourages other people. And then the other Facebook group that I have is the one for for this brand, the Online Course Kai brand, this podcast. It's called the Online Course Community. That's got right at 400 people. And that's a phenomenal group as well. People are coming in, asking questions about their own courses. People are helping each other. I do the Facebook Live every Friday, Q&A, 9 a.m. Central. And so that's my experience with Facebook groups. I, I don't have a problem with it. I really have no issues with it other than the people that say, hey, I hate Facebook. What's the other option? And like you said, that's like the 5% of people, whereas you're probably, you'd probably miss a lot more people if you were on a different platform. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me. All right, David, any other takeaways from this conversation with Angela? Well, I got the sense that she didn't really consider herself a true expert when she started. So a little bit more like Nate's story with the microgreens. I think she said that when she first made her first video, she just truly like saw something wonderful the watercolor was doing and felt like she needed to share it. And so, you know, for somebody out there that's, they're like, I don't know if I can make an entire course or they're nervous about making the entire course, just whatever you know that somebody else might want to know, just start by making that first video where you share something that you found joy in or some secret that you know, and just let that be your starting point and see, see if people respond to it. Yeah. So you don't need to be an expert to have a successful online course on that topic. And that's, that's, that's something I'm definitely passionate about. In fact, I, I got, I, I applied to speak at the ClickFunnels conference this year. I'm not speaking at it, at least as far as I know. And they, they wanted to know what the topic would be. And I was thinking about it, thinking about it. And that's, that's basically the topic I submitted. Like, look, I want to, I want to share the message that you do not need to be an expert in order to succeed here, because I am not, I, I, I never was in my past, and I'm not today a piano expert. I wouldn't consider my, that, myself that at all. Now, today, I bet Angela is better at watercolor than I am at piano. You know, she, she's probably mastering her craft more quickly as the days go on, because I'm, I'm more focused now on, you know, mastering the craft of online courses rather than piano. But there's so many people I talk to that aren't necessarily masters or experts at this, they just, they know some things, they know some tricks, and they're passionate about helping spread this message. And and that's usually all it takes. And then once you have that, it's a matter of some hard work to get it done. I mean, anybody that's enjoying my story, it's like, I'm not an expert at online courses, but I'm, I'm learning as they are. And I mean, just making the online course again, it's like by making the online course, I started making more videos. I started making a bunch more visit videos for my chiropractic office. And it's a good news, bad news thing, but my office is like so busy right now. We got people calling in every which way. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I started making a course, got more comfortable with video. It's definitely, it's just helped me grow as a person and it's improving multiple areas of my life. So highly encourage it. That's yeah. I've been seeing some of the videos you've been putting out there for your chiropractic office and it's, it's fantastic. You can tell you're getting more and more comfortable on camera and just with the whole marketing thing. Yep, Definitely. All right, David. Well, I think that's going to put a button on this episode. I appreciate you joining me for another one. I appreciate everyone out there listening to this. 
Let me go ahead and pitch a couple of things, tell everybody out there how I can help them. Let's. I want to start with this Facebook group that we kind of mentioned in the Facebook Lives that I've been doing in the Facebook group. So if you're not a part of the online course community, definitely check that out. David's there. I'm there. And I'll tell you what, when somebody makes a post in that Facebook group, David, I feel like you're always like commenting within the first like two minutes it's in there. Dude, I use Facebook too much. That's the downside to Facebook. <laughs> That's what they're talking about. Yeah, true story there. But if you want to post something in there and get a response from David within two minutes and get a response from <laughs> me within like 24 hours, then nice. then you can do that. Just head over to theonlinecourseguy.com and right at the top, you can click on community. Or if you're on Facebook already, like David probably is right now, just search for the online course community there and you will find us. It's a great group. And another advantage to joining that group is I go live in that group every Friday morning and answer your questions. It's totally free. It's 9 a.m. Central Time, so that's 10 a.m. in Eastern. And I guess if you're out on the West Coast, that's 7 a.m. And then in Europe, you will likely still be awakened in the afternoon. And if you're Australia, you're going to have to stay up pretty late for that. But that's every Friday. And guys, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Welcome to the Online Course Show. And I'd invite you to listen to, as far as the next episode, 89. That's our Online Courses 101 episode. So check that out, episode 89. And I have an online course on how to succeed with online courses. It's called the Online Course Accelerator, and it is free. To find out more about that, go to theonlinecourseguy.com and click on Online Course Accelerator at the top. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again. We'll talk next week.